0: We began uh, uh, Exodus last week with just a dip into some uh, Egyptology and uh, a little chronology and the very beginning of things and uh, getting uh, our arms sort of around the 400 years that Israel was in Egypt. Um, God had actually already told Israel. He told um, uh, Abraham. already in Genesis 15, that Israel would be in Egypt for 400 years. Um, And today we'll continue on with with, uh, chapters. I'm I'm guessing both chapters 2 and 3 today, but we'll see how I do. Uh, um, And I'll try not to rush. Uh, We had a guest Sunday morning who wanted to say something about my sermon, and she said, it was a little much. So, uh, uh, I understand. You know, sometimes there's, there's just a lot to take in. And I have uh, what to some is an annoying habit of having no football illustrations um, in my sermons. I apologize for that, but um, if I should... Anyway, let's go into Exodus chapter 2. The baby in the bulrushes, and let's get right to that baby. Uh, so, I don't know if that's an actual picture of Moses or not. But, um, but uh, now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. What's significant about the tribe of Levi at this point in Israel's history? 14, uh, no, 1526 BC. What is what is Levi um, compared to the other tribes at this point? No, no, no. You are you are 80 years in the future. So what is Levi now? Equal to his brothers, except for one thing. No inheritance. Why not? Because he and Simeon sinned. And so in, the, in uh, just two chapters ago, in, at the end of Genesis, Jacob doesn't give Levi or Simeon any inheritance in the land. And uh, there the, the boys are stuck. So, Levi is just kind of wondering, Dad is still mad at us, even though he's been dead for umteen years, umteen hundred years, and uh, what are we going to do? So, we have this man in the house of Levi, and Levi is, in, in a sense, the least of the tribes, because at least Simeon got told, You'll live in the tents of Judah. So, at least Simeon has a bunk bed, but. Levi, uh, Levi gots nothing at this point. So Levi is out. Um, and the, so they're the least of the tribes and the man of the house of Levi marries a Levite woman. And, uh, I'm just going to encourage all of you. uh, If I wouldn't have said anything at all, you would never have looked. Why did I start that sentence? Because the commentaries make a big deal out of it. And because once in a while, A guy will write an article that gets published somewhere about it. But this is where some things like the Talmud go off into some wild mythology about Moses and his parents. Um, And they want to make um, Jochebed and Amram, the mother and father of, of Moses, into, well, it wasn't his first marriage and they couldn't have babies because of this and that and they're not really Moses' parents' names, uh, uh, the names of Moses' actual parents, and on and on and on and on. And so you have modern Jews who are convinced, because of the Talmud, that the Bible is a myth. Because they, will, they would rather accept the Talmud as the accurate story. Why? Because it has more interesting details. Because it's cool to read. And it's a fad to be a Talmud scholar today, I suppose. So we're going to take the text of God's word as God's word and leave it alone. But we have a Levite, Mary's a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Uh, what, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months so he's a good baby. Once in a while, can you tell that a one baby is going to be uh, a great baby? It's really hard. I'm stepping on eggshells here. I don't want to say some babies are duds or something like that, but you wouldn't, because um, all four of mine were perfect. They're they fine babies and, and so forth. But once in a while, I had professors tell me that once in a while you can tell that one baby is going to be very special. And I'm, I'm not sure how you would tell that. Unless, like, uh, like some of us, they were born during a major earthquake. So that... Uh, Nobody mentioned in this room by that, right? Uh, uh, that the Great Alaskan Earthquake in 1964 was the harbinger of my birth. So there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, so anyway, she, she hides him for three months. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, for, and, and, um, Stephen concurs. We, we once in a while are going to be going back to Stephen's sermon before he was stoned because Stephen brings up all kinds of details about Moses in his quick sermon. For three months he was cared for in his father's house, um, and uh, his father, incidentally, um, Amram, lived to be, um, am I remembering this rightly? I probably have it on your sheets somewhere, but I don't remember where. But Amram lived to, to be about 137. Uh, uh, it's kind of uh, judging where that would be um, in terms of, of Moses' lifetime. Was Amram super old when Moses was born? Or was he a guy in his 30s or 20s or whatever? We don't know that. We just know that he happened to live to be 137. So we have this command from Pharaoh a couple verses ago at the end of chapter one to throw all the boys in the Nile, right? And they did not. They agreed with Peter in uh, Acts chapter five. We must obey God rather than men. And they do not dispose of their baby. Uh, But when she could hide him no longer, after a while, the baby is going to start to, you know, just increase in size and abilities and start crawling out of the tent and so forth. Um, She could hide him no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Now this ark that she makes is a teba. It's the same word in Hebrew as Noah's ark. So it's this chest, that's also a floaty thing, um, a boat. I had a professor who called it a tub, a little mini tub. Um, and to this day, I think that you can Google Moses basket and it'll give you kind of a portable bassinet um, with, like, with handles. And once in a while you see uh, a mom bring one in uh, to worship or Bible study or something like that. Um, But they're usually, you know, two feet long and a foot wide and big old handle and kind of a cover and so forth. But a little hand-carried bassinet for, but a Moses basket. Well, she pitches it with pitch, just like Noah had pitched the ark with pitch to make it what? Waterproof. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Pastor Sutton did some research about the land of Goshen and the eastern branches of the Nile Delta. And I have no idea where he came up with this, but at least in modern times, um, that's the only part of the Nile where there are no crocodiles. (laughs) I don't know how Don found that, uh, but uh, my uh, my former associate, but he found that. And I'll just let it sit there. I don't know if that was also true 3,500 years ago, But uh, it's true today anywhere. The only part of the Nile where there are no crocodiles. So we'll just leave it at that. But uh, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Who's the sister? Miriam. Miriam Miriam is considerably older. Uh, She may have been around 12 Uh, at this time. I don't know if we have that number somewhere in Scripture. We might. But she's quite a bit older than her younger brothers. Aaron is also three years older than Moses. And they didn't have to hide Aaron. They didn't have to throw Aaron in the drink. So that to me suggests that Aaron had, if I may, grandfathered out of the throw the baby boys into the Nile thing. So that now when, when, when Moses is three months old, Aaron is three years old in a bit, <laughs> And didn't have to go into the Nile. But Moses had to go. So Marins, Miriam rather stands at a distance to see what would happen to the baby. You see in this painting, what's in the distance there? The pyramids. Fairly accurate. The pyramids, I said last time, the pyramids were old. Already in the days of Moses. So at least many of them were. Although they, they, they kept building them and so forth, but they were old. One uh, structure we're going to look at today was built during Moses' lifetime, probably while he was off in uh, Midian. And we'll take a look at that and why I think it was built after he left uh, as well. Then Pharaoh's daughter. So we have two women here, Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter, whoever she was. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Another indication that probably there were no crocodiles is she was bathing there. So uh, uh, she saw a basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. And he was crying and she felt sorry for him. And this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Okay, let me uh, test your knowledge. In the Charlton Heston movie... How does she know that it's a Hebrew baby? And not only a Hebrew, but a Levite? By the design of the cloth, right? By the fact that it had the certain, was it, I forget, was it actually red, white, and blue? Probably, I think. Mostly red, but a little hint there, a little nod from Hollywood. It has to be red, white, and blue. And uh, I said, I don't know. Um, but how did she actually know that this baby was a Hebrew baby? He was circumcised. Sure, easiest, easiest nod to that. Um, so she feels sorry for him. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, there's this little girl nearby, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Natural thing to ask, it wasn't her baby, so he's going to need a wet nurse. And yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. So it's best all around. It's, it's ideal. Um, mama gets to keep nursing her own baby. I wonder if Pharaoh's daughter was, was kind of alarmed or, or, or said, huh, when the baby just took right away to the breast, like, oh, they, they, get, they get along really well. huh?" Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Um, God had also told Abraham back in Genesis, uh, you will plunder them. So already the Hebrews are beginning to get money out of the Egyptians. That's going to increase quite a bit by the end of the story here. Um, So she begins to nurse the baby. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Um, the word Moses uh, is both Hebrew and uh, Egyptian, and Uh, means just about the same thing in both languages. Was it a loan word into Hebrew from Egyptian? I'm not sure, but Moshe. There's another word that we will see also means uh, to draw water. That's Dala. But Moshe, to draw out or to move, um, it's uh, it's used that way in Numbers 14. Um, But that's what he's called. And right at this time, I, I pointed out last time that very likely, we're in the, well, we certainly are in the New Kingdom of Egypt, but very probably in the 18th dynasty. And there's something about the 17th and 18th dynasties of Egypt that is not true of any earlier dynasty or any later ones. And that is this w- word element, Moses. So you have pharaohs with names like Amos, Thutmose, Kamos, Amen Mesa, possibly. And other things, so they're common in pharaoh names in particular. Um, the, the one drawn out by Ah or Ka or Thut or, uh, or uh, 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 what was his name, uh, Set and other things. Setmos is probably one. Um, so you've got this word element, 17th to 19th dynasties, not before and not really after. So unique to this time period. Does that seem to place Moses also in the same time frame? I think so. Uh, one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to the, where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Now notice his own people. Moses himself writes that. His own people. He had already discovered or been told by Mama or by whomever that he is an Israelite, he knew. I don't think it was probably hidden from him. For one thing, there is the whole issue with he is circumcised, so he may have asked somebody about that along the. Well, we are we got you out of the river because you're a you were a Hebrew boy, so or an Israelite boy. So he knows that, um, and now he's begun to throw his lot in with the Israelites as well. Stephen is the one who tells us in his Acts 7 sermon that Moses was 40 at this point. It's the inspired word of God. We have no reason to doubt Stephen. We do know that Moses died at 120 and that Moses began to lead Israel at 80 and Stephen is the one who furnishes us with this 40 number which fits in with everything else. No reason to doubt Stephen um, at all. Brad? Do we, we know? Typically, to be honest, uh, much older than we would normally think of. So between three and five, probably. Could have been been told by his mother, yeah, 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 sure. Um, I didn't repeat that, but Brad asked when Moses was weaned. And no, we don't know that, but we do know that um, babies in ancient times were typically weaned quite a bit later than they are now. So three, four, five years old. He'd have been walking and talking, probably. Um, yeah, when, when uh, Kath and I were asking about our very first baby uh, with our doctor back in Wisconsin, and Kath was wondering, you know, when do you stop weaning? Our, our, our doctor was a woman who had not long before had her second or third baby, so she was kind of in the mix with us at the same time. In fact, she was in one of our later Lamaze classes, our own doctor, you know cuz she was pregnant again and so forth and um and uh uh forgive me this is just about to get PG-13 are you okay with that so uh the the our our doctor said uh uh i figured it was time to wean when my daughter walked into the room with company and pointed at my chest and said those i want those so okay Maybe it's time to wean the baby about now, but what would you be there? Three, four, three, maybe even two, depending, I suppose. Um, I'm all confused because my wonderful sons were reading at three, and I don't know when, <laughs> what real children are like. I have no idea. Have I told you the story of me crashing the car in Washington State because my two-year-old in the black in the back seat suddenly read a street sign? And I thought, what, 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 what? And uh, we were driving. We were in downtown Kent, Washington, and we had been reading alphabet books to Jonathan, and he was not yet three. And he reads a, a, a sign. This is back in the nineties. Okay, so keep in mind how long ago this was. He read a neon sign in a in a storefront that said uh, "Facts." Remember what facts used to be? Once upon a time. Okay. And uh, my baby, out of the back seat, says, F-A-X. That spells fax. <laughs> Mama, what's a fax? And that was, that's, uh, that's how I found out my son could read. I didn't know that. So, but, well. All right. So Moses uh, was watching his own people at their hard labor, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Prob- it, we, we think it was a taskmaster. I don't know if it was actually Vincent Price, but it was probably a taskmaster of some kind. And, uh, or it could have been an ordinary Egyptian. I don't know. People have different ideas about, uh, about uh, corporal punishment and about various kinds of slavery. Do you, have, do you know uh, what uh, Ulysses Grant did once? Um, uh, regarding this, on the eve of a major battle, he had uh, a a cavalry officer uh, uh, tied up to a tree as punishment when he was whipping his horse too much. And Grant was that much of a cavalry officer that he's like, you're not doing that. And he made him stand there tied to a tree all night because he had mistreated his horse. And Grant said the horse is more valuable to me than this guy, and uh, so that's that's uh, that's my U.S. Grant story. Uh, glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Lots of sand in Egypt to hide somebody in. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the the one in the wrong, "Why are you hurting or hitting your fellow Hebrew?" And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Isn't that a curious uh, sentence in verse 14? Moses is, is his own conscience just stinging him. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Who did that down, uh, 40 years down the road? God did, but he wasn't ruler and judge yet. Uh, and uh, it's just like uh, when people try to take uh, revenge um, or become vigilantes uh, 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 today, uh, there was a guy who lived down the street from me in my hometown when I was a boy, and he belonged to a group. Um, I'm not going to say their name, but they were, they were an actual vigilante group. Um, and uh, we were always told, whatever you do, never stop at that house, not even trick-or-treating not even with your unicef box do not stop at that house um and so we were forbidden from going there but they were they were they were a vigilante group they were not the kkk there was something in the north but uh uh it wasn't and i was always confused about that well maybe he gets to do that because he's a grown up and he must know what's legal right um and then my pastor taught us the fourth commandment in catechism class and then i realized oh he's breaking God's law because revenge is God's, not ours. And when God has uh, justice to see to or has uh, vengeance of some kind to do in the world because of wrongdoing, he works through what? The government. That's the place of the government in our society. So this guy says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian then Moses was afraid and thought, what must I, what I did must have become known. Well, no kidding, any random Jew he runs into knows he's the killer. So this was not only known, it was, I think, very well known that Moses, at least among the Israelites. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.